Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents podcast. I am here with Nikki V, Nico, Nicholas on Skype. Good morning, everybody, and Frank. Good morning to you as well. Good morning. So you have some questions from listeners. You want to share those? Yes, sir. So the first one, these are both pretty good questions. The first one is, does the New Testament require kingdom people to evangelize? Hmm. Take it away, Frankie V. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Nikki V. Well, in my opinion, I would remove the word require because... I do not see evangelism, the sharing of the gospel, framed that way in the New Testament. Someone may say, well, what about the Great Commission? And I'll I'll get to that later. But what I see in the New Testament is a different frame, and that would be the New Testament envisions that people who are in Christ, who have received the Lord, who know the Lord, will organically, naturally, automatically, as the Spirit leads them, evangelize, share the gospel with others. So it's it's not this demand, it's not this duty, it's not this obligation, it's not this condemning, stern bondage that I have to share the gospel with someone. It's more of a natural outflow of one's own relationship to the Lord and understanding the benefit of knowing the Lord and coming to the Lord. And this would be to the believer. Now, for apostolic types, it may be a bit different because apostolic types are specifically called to do this. But when I read the New Testament, and the New Testament is full of admonitions, warnings, exhortations, teaching to Christians, to God's people in various spiritual communities, accepting uh, the letters to Timothy and the letters to Titus. Those were two apostolic types. But all the other epistles, Nicholas, are, as you know, to God's people. Indeed. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Paul or Peter or any of the other writers of, of the New Testament command God's people as a requirement, as a requirement, as some kind of a a religious duty to go out and evangelize. What I do see, though, are statements like when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, you know, he made a comment commending them for the fact that they were broadcasting the gospel. They were already doing that, and he made mention of it. I see an encouragement in one of Peter's letters where he said, always be ready to give an answer to the person who asks about the hope that lies within you. So in other words, both Peter and both Paul and the other writers of the New Testament seem to suggest that it is the lifestyle that the Christian lives that brings glory to God, and that will actually provoke people to ask them questions. What makes you tick? How come you have hope and you're not depressed and you're not falling apart in the midst of whatever, right? 
the coronavirus crisis, for example, or whatever it is? How come you are steady and calm and, and joyful? right? Asking you the hope. The Great Commission, so-called, uh, which, by the way, the New Testament never calls it the Great Commission. We have it in several places, but in the actual Greek, it doesn't say go, go, therefore, as a command. It's actually a prophecy. Predictive, right. Yeah. Jesus was basically saying, having gone on your way, or as you are going, therefore, as you're going, Having gone on your way, therefore teach all the nations, making them your pupils or disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's at the end of Matthew. I'm reading from the Weist Greek translation. It also appears in Acts, the first chapter. And you shall be those who testify of what they have seen and experienced, my witnesses. He doesn't say, go and testify. He says, you shall be those who testify of those who have seen and experienced my witnesses. So this gets more at the heart of what's going on with evangelism, that is sharing the gospel. It's something that someone who is full of Christ will automatically, naturally, organically do as the Holy Spirit leads and as the doors open. So I would frame it in the context of and with the language of this is what we do versus this is required. That's great. So you kind of tweaked the word require, and I want to kind of recast the word evangelize in this. Not so much the word, but but what comes to our minds when we think of this. I think we, we often apply really narrow views and practices to certain words that, you know, are, are kind of common parlance in the faith. And this is one of those words where I think we, you know, we're like, we have to be out there witnessing to people out there somewhere, or maybe even something really formal, like we're standing on a platform preaching the gospel or something like that. And I think when we do that, we put a whole bunch of people who aren't even wired for that kind of stuff, not called to that explicit type of activity. I think we, we kind of put them in a, in a tight spot. So, you know, in terms of the word evangelize, I would say we're, we're really talking about just sharing your experience. So I really think that we need to expand what it means to, to evangelize. I mean, what we're really talking about here is sharing Christ with other people. And that, again, like so many other aspects to the Christian faith, can take on innumerable expressions. If I'm sitting in a coffee shop or at my kitchen table with a friend um, or you know, uh, even a stranger that I might encounter, you know, say in a coffee shop, and I'm simply just sharing my experience with them. I mean, my experience is completely intertwined with Jesus Christ. So inevitably, for me, he gets worked into the conversation many, many times, yeah. even with perfect strangers. And so that, to me, is quote-unquote evangelizing. You know, I'm just sowing seed, and I'm doing it in the course of very natural activities of everyday life. So I, I want to expand what it means to evangelize. And by the way, I totally agree with everything Frank said. I, I, I don't think the word require is appropriate for what we're talking about here. I just think that this is going to be a natural part of everybody's lives who is having an ongoing daily experience of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, just going to happen. It's just going to come out. And it can come out in the most simplest of ways. It doesn't need to be a quote-unquote presentation of a series of facts. It doesn't need to be preaching per se. All of those have their places, and all of those 
have have you know people that may be called to that kind of activity. For example, Philip in the New Testament, you know, he had a very specific calling and wound up preaching the gospel in a location a lot of people got saved as he preached the gospel. Um, interestingly enough, he calls several of the apostles down. It's it's kind of something new and never seen before. Maybe they didn't even know what Philip was. And so they went down and saw that there was this kind of this new gift emerging in the church. Um, but that's a very specific calling. And, you know, we don't really hear or see too much about Philip after that. It's not like he started, you know, a nonprofit ministry and took off after that and went around doing this everywhere. And maybe he did do it in some other places, but there, there's not an indication that now he had this official thing going on. So... You know, that's a very specialized type of task that the Lord called him to, and you don't see too many other examples of Philip types in the New Testament. So we don't ever want to try to narrow down and squeeze people into a couple of small funnels when there's so many ways that the gospel can be shared, both formally and informally. In the last podcast episode, we were talking about digital missionaries and, and online sharing of the gospel of the kingdom on social media. I mean, that, that's a sharing of the gospel as well. So Absolutely. there's infinite ways that people can and do evangelize and may not even give it a second thought. And then the other aspect to this is, you know, some of the more traditional, again, when we hear evangelize, when we hear the term evangelize, some of the more traditional images that come into our head are, are kind of in-your-face type images. You know, again, knocking on somebody's front door and, you know, trying to get them saved or hosting some type of an evangelistic event where we're preaching at a crowd of people. You know, these, these more common images that pop into our head. But, you know, we're called to be salt. And salt is very subtle. And that's why I, I want to make sure we're legitimizing the sitting at your kitchen table with a friend or a neighbor over a cup of coffee and in, in the course of normal conversation, peppering in and salting in just your comments about the Lord or, you know, well, I, I wouldn't have been able to survive this without the Lord. or I, I don't know how I made it through this apart from Jesus Christ or and, and going on and having a normal conversation. And again, I think one of the other aspects to this whole business of evangelizing is, and, and Frank and I have talked about this before on some previous podcasts about, you know, manipulating and engineering outcomes. And so many times when we get this word evangelize mixed in, we're trying to close the deal all the way and get people saved on the spot. And so many of what should be a natural, normal part of our life gets so awkward and artificial because we're trying to engineer a very particular outcome in terms of evangelism. And I think we need to be set free from that a little bit. I don't need to produce an outcome in my sharing of the gospel. I just need to drop the seed or be the salt, and the rest is up to the Lord. You know, and I'm talking about both the results and the timing of those results. You know, some of these things can take years to unfold. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we need more freedom, more liberty in this concept of what we're talking about when we use the term evangelize and what all that means. It's a huge umbrella. Yeah. And another thing that pops in our heads is cold evangelism, where you walk up to somebody at the mall or you go door to door. All of those methods are highly ineffective. There is a principle 
connect before you correct. If you're going to correct someone over an issue, even if it's a family member, you want to first connect with them. Well, the same is true with this business of evangelism. Connect before you convert. Unless you're speaking to an audience that's come out to hear you, a la conference or like Paul did in the marketplace or at the Hall of Tyrannus when he was in Ephesus, the most effective way to evangelize is to build a friendship. So connect before you convert. And getting back to this whole thing about being required to evangelize. When I was a young boy, I was heavily into baseball, very passionate about it. And so if you were around me, because baseball was so much a part of my life, in fact, in those days, Tom Seaver, the ace pitcher for the New York Mets, wrote a book called Baseball is My Life. And that's how I felt also. And so if you were around me or you connected with me in any level, baseball would come up. Now, was I required to talk about baseball? <laughs> you know, was there a demand on me? Frankie V, you have to talk to people about baseball. Absolutely not, man. It just came out of me. It was part of my life. I was right. passionate about it. Right. And when you share Christ a la evangelism, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. And if you're doing it out of duty, obligation, guilt, a quote-unquote requirement, People are going to feel that. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're just trying to recruit them. There's no connection. But if it's a part of your life, if Jesus is a part of your life, if the kingdom is a part of your life, it's going to come out of your conversation. It's going to come out of your lifestyle. And, and I just, again, am struck by the difference between what we see in the New Testament epistles and what we hear preached to us by um, evangelical preachers so often, the evangelical preachers are saying, you have to, you have to, you must, you're not doing enough. You have to preach the gospel. You have to share the gospel. If you don't, X, 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 Y, you know. And then you look at the epistles and you never see Paul saying, hey, guys, right. you have to get out there and preach the gospel. Right. Hey, guys, you're not doing enough. Hey, guys, Peter, Jude, James. You need to share the gospel. You need to preach the gospel. There's none of that. It's not it's, there at all. It's strikingly <laughs> absent, yeah. considering what we hear today. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you an example, too. As you were sharing, this popped in my head. It was two people, two Christians, right? And this gets into social media, so we're dovetailing on our earlier podcast episode. So there's Christian A., and he has been taught, you're required to evangelize. So now he's getting on social media and he is just sharing about Jesus because he's required to. And it's just very unnatural. And it feels like pressure. You take another person, Christian B, Jesus is part of his life. He's just enjoying the kingdom of God. He's loving the freedom that the gospel of the kingdom has brought him. And so now he's just sharing it naturally and organically, just like he would say he saw a great television show on Netflix. He wasn't required to do that. <laughs> he enjoyed it so much he wanted to share it with other people. Well, it's the same way. He's sharing the gospel of the kingdom and, you know, whatever it is in his own words or he's passing on links or whatever. Boy, there is a big difference between the two. I just think that when... The world thinks of Christians evangelizing, they think of that first person and that first scenario. And quite frankly, they don't want to have anything to do with it because they're being recruited, not say to join Amway or to buy medicinal mushrooms, but to get involved in this person called Jesus. It's the same feel. Yeah. 
I know you've covered this numerous times in your writings, and I'm sure we've even alluded to it in some of the previous podcasts, but we Christians are not good with being seasonal either. We seem to get a hold of something and try to make it a permanent part, everyday part of, of our lives. And everything, I think, including even evangelism, is a seasonal activity. I have seasons where it's just a lot more prevalent in my life, and there's there's an unction for it, and it's easy and free-flowing in the sense that it's it's natural and effective. And, and then there are other seasons where it kind of recedes back a little bit. Um, I might be ready in season or out of season, but it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to be, you know, engaging the activity of sharing the gospel equally in all seasons. And I think, again, this is one of those things that can plague us with guilt or, you know, a sense that we're not doing something that we should or ought or must or are required to be doing. And there needs to be a lot more liberty in the lives of God's people in this topic as well, both in terms of frequency and in terms of, you know, what qualifies as this. Lots and lots of things qualify as sharing the gospel. Yeah. All right. So the next question is this. What, in your opinion, are the two biggest hindrances for Christians living in the West? That's not the Western part of the United States. That's the Western part of the world. <laughs> uh, so not just California, but all of us in the, in the Western Hemisphere. What are the two biggest hindrances for Christians in the West to experiencing the kingdom of God? Frankie V, I am, as the host of that question, I'm going to defer to you. You want to let our listeners in on how we decided to do this? Yeah, sure. So what Frank and I decided to do with this question was we have not discussed this at all, and I have no idea what he has come up with for the two biggest hindrances, and he does not know what I've come up with. So I'm as curious as everybody else to hear your two answers, Frank. Likewise, I want to hear yours as well. It'll be interesting to see how far apart they are, how close they are. So I had 10 minutes to think about this before we went on air, and actually five. I had five minutes to think about this while actually, we Actually, it was were... four minutes and 37 seconds, but who's counting? Who's counting? Yeah, it was under five minutes to come up with an answer. So these are these are off the cuff. So number one would be, in my view— by the way, there's so many. <laughs> right, right. But these would be the top two, I guess. And when you give your answer, I'll probably say, oh, man, those are the top two. But one would be the pursuit of happiness and its twin brother, pleasure. Happiness and pleasure are the false gods in the West. We're constantly marketed by advertisers and businesses and entrepreneurs to pursue happiness buy this, it'll make you happy, drink this, it'll make you happy, watch this, it'll make you happy, do this, it'll make you happy, listen to this, it'll make you happy, uh, and or pleasures. And these are the false gods we bow down to. And the fact is, in my own opinion, happiness is a myth. There is no human being who is always happy. Happy is tied to our circumstances. You know, you could be happy five times in a day. You could be sad five times in a day. It, it's like the wind, man. It comes and goes. Mm, yeah. The Bible never exhorts us to seek happiness. It says a lot about joy. It says a lot about peace. It says a lot about contentment. I would put all those three under the heading of well-being. 
it does tell us to seek something, and that is to seek God and to seek the kingdom of God first. And out of that comes joy and peace and righteousness and well-being. So I, I do think the pursuit of happiness, Christians are not immune to this. I hear Christians all the time use that language of happy. Oh, this makes me happy, or I wasn't happy. And it has led many down a road that has pulled them away from Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord has not delivered on his promise to make them happy. Well, he never promised to make us happy. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, so that's really um, a huge obstacle to the kingdom in the West. The second one I wrote down is the feeling of entitlement of comfort and convenience. And I think Westerners, Americans in particular, have this feeling of being entitled to have a comfortable life filled with convenience. Our entire American lifestyle is geared toward producing that. Right now, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. And, you know, Americans, for them to stay in their home for four weeks is it's doomsday. You know, they're either going mad on the one hand or they're outraged on the other and looking for somebody to blame. When most of the world, I mean, they're thankful they have a home to live in. And many of them do not. So this whole thing about being entitled to comfort and convenience, it's the opposite of the cost of the kingdom of God that Jesus so often talked about. And I think it's a big hindrance to kingdom living and to kingdom life. So those would be the two, the pursuit of happiness and pleasure and the entitlement of comfort and convenience. Yeah, I, I got no problem with those two being selected. And it's funny because they kind of overlap a bit with mine. I, I use different words, but I think they probably have similar overlap. So the first phrase that came to my mind was addiction to lifestyle. Mm. And just to further define that lifestyle, which really a lot of what you just said really had to do with a lifestyle that, that we've become accustomed to. But the way it came out for me was we have seemed to have an insatiable need to be entertained. We have this drive for self-realization and self-determination and you know, just our general lifestyle, which is one of convenience and, and everything and insulation from pain and discomfort and inconvenience. Like you said, it's what we demand out of our politicians. And if they don't promise to give it to us, whether they can actually deliver it or not is almost irrelevant. As long as they keep promising to deliver it to us. And on some levels, I guess it does get delivered sometimes through the government, then, you know, then we're not happy. So that's a biggie, I think. That's, and I think it very much overlaps with yours. And then the second one uh, that I said was, we seem to have this incurable need for stability and security. Mm -hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with those, but there's a line where you cross in your need for that, mm -hmm. where you are going to limit your unhindered following of Jesus Christ at all cost because it begins to interfere with your long-term physical stabilities or your long-term security. There is just no way that I can conceive of, and honestly looking at the scripture, but an honest reading of, of the New Testament, the Gospels, the words of Jesus, the life of the apostles as they lived in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and how, how the churches and the ecclesias lived. There's simply no way that you can be 
a serious disciple of Jesus and have at the same time the type of requirements that we Westerners have for stability, for security, for entertainment, for self-realization, self-actualization, whatever you want to call it, the happiness and the pleasure that Frank mentioned in his, those things are completely incompatible for the serious disciple. You know, let's face it, the West has been captured monumentally with the world system, by the world system, which is, again, a counterfeit for God's kingdom. Yeah. And there's, there's an added dimension to this, Frank, that's even insidious. And that is that somehow all of those things that we just listed in the West, we have found a way to intertwine those with the gospel so that we can justify kind of having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom and just continue to move forward in, in or at least imagine that we're moving forward in our Christian lives because we have, you know, baptized the American dream, so to speak, into the Christian faith and, and have made it something that some people's minds is divinely appointed. You know, it's like a, it's like our right, our birthright to mm-hmm. live a particular way on this planet and at the same time be considered devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's the scary part of this. It's not the struggling with those things that's necessarily the problem, because people are going to struggle with those, and you seek yeah. the Lord and wrestle with the Lord and bring these things to the altar, and you know, um, you, you do all the things. There's there's a there's a battle for all of us living on this planet to follow the Lord. But the scary part to that is not that we struggle and battle with those things. It's when we bring them into the house and make them our pets and come up with a theology that accommodates all of that. That's when we're we're in a place that becomes quite dangerous. What is dropped in my heart for many who are listening right now are these words. There is a battle in your life that you cannot afford to lose. Defeat is not an option. All right. Now, what I mean by that is for some of you listening, your battle is with food. You are uh, addicted to food and it is reflected in your weight. It's reflected in in your diet. And this is a battle that the Lord will give you power over, but you have to set your face like a flint and make a, a quality decision that you're going to fight this battle with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not something you could do on your own. Some of you, it's a, it's a sexual addiction. Some of you, it's, it's an addiction to possessions or a love of possessions. For some of you, the battle is with your temper. Some of you, the battle is with fear and anxiety. Some of you, the battle is with control. You're a controlling person and you want to control things. Some of you, it's a battle over money and making money. Many of our listeners, I believe, have a battle before them. And it's easy to drop the ball and it's easy to be tolerant, to tolerate these things in your life. Maybe you've tried before and you've given up. But I believe the Lord is calling you to pick that battle up again and look for new creative ways on how to fight it. And the Lord will give you the resources and the help and the power to overcome. But defeat is not an option. Amen. And that, to some degree, applies to all of us. I mean, the the battle goes on for all of us until we draw our last breath. 
this world will never give up trying to pull each and every one of us back into its clutches. Every morning that we wake up, there is a battle awaiting us. Some days it rears its head more ferociously than other days. Other days you may not even notice it at all and, and you may be flowing easy that day. But the tentacles of this world are always going to relentlessly pursue the disciple Jesus. And Frank's addre addressing those tentacles which have wrapped themselves around some of us in a really insidious way. And the Lord wants us to be free because in that freedom, our enjoyment of him increases and we, we were made to live in liberty not in bondage to anything and certainly not in bondage to anything in this world. So there are times where we have to do business with the Lord on a on a more intense level about these things and other times. It's not like you're you're being intense about this every day, but I have had, you know, some of the things Frank talked about, like many of you had struggles with. And there were seasons where it was it was a fever pitch battle and I was constantly before the Lord and I was seeking you know, deliverance or release, and the Lord came through, you know, and you just repeatedly bring these things to the altar. You don't rearrange your theology to accommodate mm -hmm. your pet sins. You are in a really deep, troubling place if you get to that point. And if you are, then this is the moment, this is the time to stop doing that and find an altar to bring these things to the Lord and re-engage the battle because like frank said this is really there there are some things for which we cannot suffer defeat okay well boy there's a lot more we can say about that but i think we're coming to the end of our time frame so we want to encourage all of you to continue to listen to the podcast and if you're new to it we would recommend you go back and listen to all the other episodes you're free to binge on them and in many ways, the fact is they all intertwine with one another. There's a building upon each other. We try not to repeat ourselves in these shows. And so we may talk about one theme, but then that theme has been expanded somewhere else. Just about everything we've talked about, Nicholas, we have addressed more thoroughly in some of the other podcast episodes and, of course, certainly in the book Insurgents. Yeah. For sure, I was thinking of, of insurgents when we were covering really both of these, but especially the second question gets addressed, you know, in a very powerful way. Appreciate that. All right, folks, stay safe and we will see you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.